you could spend a moment with some remarkable people and discover what the life sounds like, what would you ask? Welcome to Are We On Air, an audio encounter. I'm Armand Nafei, and each episode will feature one conversation with an inspiring friend of mine who will share with us the soundtrack to their life. Welcome back to another episode of Are We On Air? I am your show's host, Armand Nafei, and this week we are being joined by one of the biggest DJs of our time. His name is Richie Horton. Richie and I spend a lovely sake-infused Sunday at his newly opened sake bar in Berlin-Kreuzberg and talked about his life's soundtrack and how he started off and what influenced him and how he sees and feels techno. We also talked about his long-lasting collaboration with the designer Raf Simmons and, of course, his love for Japan and the sake culture. It was a fun and long conversation. Pour yourself a glass, turn up the volume, and enjoy. So, cheers and welcome <laughs> to How We On Air. <laughs> so, Richie Horton, it's been a year Since we were trying to set this up, we were in both in Los Angeles. I actually saw you at the was the Hollywood Palladium yeah, when you were playing, which was incredible. Yeah, yeah, that was the last close show of last year. It was like a tour I was doing for two years, and you know, now sitting here, you know, in this whole crazy w weird year, it was like it was an amazing show, but it was also kind of bittersweet because I knew that was the last show of that and I actually had already you know decisions were made months before actually a year before that after two years on the road with this big thing and a big touring gang I wanted 2020 to be much simpler I was only going to do you know me and my assistant traveling keep the gigs just fun I was turning 50 this year so it was like I did this photo shoot in February it was kind of a transitional shoot with uh Willie Vandenbeer who's a friend of ours and um Yeah, it was, something was already in the air, you know? And, um, and then the whole world decided to take a transition with me. <laughs> so I should, not to make light of it, but, uh, but, you, but, but yeah, you're like, you know, it's like, what, what, you know, life turns and weaves in very strange ways. And, you know, you know, just as you think you have everything under control, you know, the earth, the planet, the stars align and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, there's something much bigger going on than you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I think the one, I guess, beauty thing you can see or look at uh, the whole scenario is like it kind of equalized everything and everybody. Yeah. Like we're all on the same level, no matter who you are, what money or whatever, yeah. you're all on the same boat. And that's kind of a nice positive thing out of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I think um, you've really seen more the similarities between people and um yeah people have yeah it's it just um it's eased a lot of tension in some ways maybe other tensions came back but i think it's eased to tension from my side and just uh, allowed you to communicate deeper and just um yeah have that time and space to think life i think for all of us in the 20 21st century whatever it's just so intense You know, there's just no escape from life and work and media and internet and do you think technology plays a big role in that technology is the thing that's just been like growing potentially out of control i think it's just so powerful that the it used to be a new technology was developed 
and kind of slowly rolled out to the masses. And that gave whoever had created it, the company or the scientists, time to kind of keep tabs of the good and bad and like kind of rebalance it as it kind of approached the rest of the world. And um, I think the advancement and the speed of innovation now is just allowing things to come straight to market so quickly that even the people creating it don't really understand the implications. And, you know, I always felt luckily that I'd been so into technology since a young age that I was pretty in tune with what was happening and I was able to um, comprehend or accept new things very quickly. But even, you know, I can even feel now with how fast things are going that you're like, wow, that, that's already here? Okay, now how do I bring that into my life? Or how do I use that for a new creative idea? Or what does that mean for the future? And I often think, especially now, if someone like me who has been so surrounded and intertwined with technology is thinking about things like that, what does that mean for the people who aren't, are more distant to technology or haven't grown up in that way? You know, not only for the older generation, but, you know, and, and lots of kids are super into it, but there's still people who just don't feel, feel alienated by technology. And if you feel alienated by technology at this moment in history, when technology is, especially right now, one of the things that ties us and allows us to communicate, then that can be a very difficult and dangerous place. Yeah, agreed. Especially, I think it depends how old you are and what your social circumstances are. But then there's also a certain freedom to it. Because imagine if you would be detached from this today. What a power. I actually had this conversation this morning with a friend of mine because Werner Herzog doesn't have a cell phone, for instance, right? And I thought, what a beautiful thing. He doesn't need to have a cell phone, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Bill Murray, it doesn't need to have an agent or so you leave yeah. a voice message. You, you, <laughs> we'll get the message, don't worry, you know? <laughs> exactly. And that's actually, I think that's the future of luxury, really, to be yeah. able to be detached from all of this, yeah. you know? That's like power. There's a New York startup that has the light phone and doesn't do it that that well uh, they're, they're working on an update so i hope it'll get better nokia did and then there's another one which i've had version one and version two of the punked phone from switzerland that's pretty good but but it doesn't do a couple of the things efficiently or i haven't found my way to really disconnect completely yeah technology is a, a is, is a driving force behind nearly everything i do so you know can i disconnect fully or should i from here and there it's um you know quite often the a technical innovation kind of well no always like well it's kind of the, the beginning of a, of an idea for a new album a new live show so yeah so it's very um yeah it, it's it's I would say it's difficult to just maintain everything that is going on in every field. Information overload. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Smart filters, AI, please. I need an AI assistant. Come on, I'm ready for it. <laughs> well, let's start with your memory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need an AI assistant for my memory. <laughs> External hard drive for that. <laughs> well, the idea, the purpose, and the concept of Are We On Air is basically to create a, a paint a picture, but through a couple of songs of you and your work. And I start with your earliest memory, uh, your significant musical memory that shaped you as an artist. Well, I think, I, you know, I looked at this question when you sent this over and I was like, okay, how far do I go back? You know, I remember my dad having a black wall in the in his, in his bedroom, my mom and dad's bedroom, which was the, the, the Dark Side of the Moon album cover that he had painted himself. And so and when I listened to that album later on, I really, I was like, I know this album. So I don't know if that was an influence. Craftwork 
for sure, but we're going to get to that later. Um, so one record that really kind of came to mind was this really funny disco record from the Raw Band, and it's called The Crunch. And it's from 1978, and right before I left the UK to come to go to Canada, which was November 11th, 1979, I had my ninth birthday, and I had a disco, which actually wasn't that out of the, it, it, it sounds super cool now, but in the 79, everybody had discos probably for their birthday. And I got this record, and uh, it's, it, it, it's this crazy synthesizer record, and the first opening, say, eight bars, sound pretty much like an acid house record. You know, it sounds kind of like the frequencies you would hear when I do a, some crazy drop in the middle of one of my sets or the kind of analog fluctuations that you would hear in the background of a Plastic Man record. So I think there was lots of things leading up to that point with my dad being into computers and technology and a, and a complete music geek. But somehow that record really, really resonated with me. And so you can hear that until today then? Yeah, I, th I think so. I think, um, I think there's an analog squelchy kind of, you know, if you can kind of twist yourself inside out or at least your brain, there's that kind of frequency bandpassed filter, which is like, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, you get goosebumps. You're like, oh, I was just there. Or I just, I just arrived. And it's like, okay, how do, I, how do I get there? And then once you're there, you're like, oh, how do I get out of here? <laughs> so it's kind of like that sound. Can you remember a track that that you made uh, that where that element is in there? Like, you can, can you compare them next to each other? Yeah, actually, there's um, the f first track or second track on Plastic Man Sheet One, um, Plasticine or Plasticity. There's this weird, exactly squelch analog thing that's just coming out every four beats or so one bar, two bars. And it's just pulsating through the whole thing. And as we speak about it, because I listened to this raw band again this morning, you get that kind of same frequency warmness. You know, it, 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 it's there for sure. Well, <laughs> how would you describe yourself or the sound of you with three records? It don't have to be Richie Horton records. I, I have an idea for both, but um, yeah, let's go from reverse before we get to my track. Um, You know, I was for sure influenced by the European sound. And again, my dad, it was Tangerine Dream always playing in the background. And But it was really when I found Acid House and Chicago Acid House and Detroit Techno, which really grabbed me. You know, it really got me to become a DJ. 
and really pushed me over the edge of wanting to make my own music. And that was the late 80s. Before that, I never thought I would make music. I was going into videography. Being, I wanted to be a cinematographer or be actually a special effects uh, wizard. Like I was into all these horror movies and, and sci-fi movies. I, was, I had these like crazy magazines, Fangoria and all this. But anyway, when I found clubbing and electronic music, it was a combination of Chicago Acid House and Detroit Techno, which I think helped define my sound. Chicago, future acid tracks, it's not only probably the most quintessential and earliest use of a 303, and it is just raw and simple and hypnotic, rolling drums, rolling 303, and 12 minutes, I don't know, 14 minutes, and it just pummels and stomps and meanders along. And if, you, if, it, if it grabs you, you're done for and if it and if it doesn't you know it's also it's a track that doesn't try to grab you somehow it doesn't have a it has a hook but it doesn't so like some people i always find they either get my music it's like a journey it's music. a train yeah, yeah but i think like when you're into i don't know if the, the word minimal or whatever it's like yeah. this kind of things which are kind of reduced just to their bare essentials don't not everybody resonates with that type of thing so it's, it's so it's either you're just scratching your head and you don't hear it or you get it fully and you're gone for those 12 minutes and that's what acid tracks did to me back in the day and it's something which is at the core of how I play and the music I make. exciting to be there when you were there when it was actually getting created you know you were like at the at the start of all of this yeah like well like i was i was still 16 17 as those records were coming out they were they, they're like 87 88 um so i wasn't in chicago but i it was i was there at the very close time and i became friends with derek may who whose record we'll speak about next and so you did feel that was the exciting thing it really felt like it was happening at that moment. That feeling is still so strong that it, it, I, I, you know, I, it can't be something that I've created after all these interviews for over, over the years because sometimes you, you talk about so much that you, you, you forget what was real or not. But like, I really remember feeling that anticipation and excitement as a late teenager and feeling like there was a musical revolution that I was seeing in a trip to England one summer and then coming back and seeing and meeting Derek May and hearing Acid House and it was bubbling up on the underground radio stations in Detroit that were beaming into Windsor and and then suddenly somehow I was in the middle of it somehow I was meeting the people who were making some of those records, somehow the records that were resonating with me, once I kind of tracked down who was making them and who was actually pressing them, were coming from Detroit artists, some of them being pressed at the record store, like in the back of the record store that I was already going to to buy actually, in the beginning, uh, European imports. 
you know so it, it was just an epicenter and, and and that was really why I dove completely into it you know I skipped going to Toronto to university and college I stayed at Windsor stayed at my parents house did a lesser study in communications just so that I could be close to Detroit and see where it went and it was an active, I sat with my parents and said, okay, I want to stay here, and this is why, you know. And if, and if it doesn't go anywhere, then I'll go back. And they were, I remember, my parents were very supportive, and my other, uh, my best friend's parents were like, you're crazy. So <laughs> luckily it wasn't the, the, the you know, the, the, the reverse, so maybe I wouldn't be here. So, so, so yeah, future acid tracks incredible um what a journey and then derek may rhythm is rhythm he, of course uh, everything he made at that point was a soundtrack to to driving around detroit but there's a particular track calls it is what it is and somehow that's you know that's if you if you meet derek it, 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 somehow that title reminds me of derek it just that's it is what it is you know um and um you know the 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 emotions in that record and what i was feeling by meeting him and Kevin Saunderson and Juan Atkins, it was just, it was, it was maybe more metallic, more futuristic. It, I think my music somehow has the hypnotism of acid tracks and the futurism that I felt and, and that I still believe is in at the heart of Detroit Tech. <laughs> you know, um, and this is my, and you know, this is my hope for what's ha gonna happen after this year, after 2020. You know, after uh, like the ashes, something beautiful is coming. Musically speaking, it's gonna come out of this, just like what happened back then. You know, it was like this small thing out of the ashes and out of bleakness, something beautiful came out. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you know why there was so much innovation and, and is so much innovation in places like Detroit and Chicago, where that they were not, they were kind of off the beaten track, especially Detroit. And music was or is a way of life. And you know, now you know, I, I would say you know, with the popularity of electronic music, although people think it's a way of life, it's kind of a trend and people's pathway to become famous or make money. But then the you know, it was it was so beautiful to see that it was just it was just at the core. You know, I remember going you know over the studios of, of Kevin and, and and Derek and that gang, and there was always something bubbling in the speakers. There was never silence. You know, it was it was really the fabric of of, of life. And um and, and and I think yeah, I think okay, there's a lot of you know you're hearing a lot of um you know sad stories now of clubs closing and hardship with artists and DJs and and. and and, and and you know how are we going to come out of this in a positive way you know but I, I i i agree with you that you know through hardship through all of us in different levels getting pushed in a way that we didn't expect and some to ex extremes is really 
pushing us to decide what we're here for and what we want to be involved with and who we want to be involved with. And I think those type of values bring back this spirit and bring back this human, human connection and this real urge and belief. And like this, it's like, it's like a nearly a, like a biochemical thing that you have to do music. You know, and and I think that's and cre general, create, yeah, yeah. And, and and you know that urge doesn't come, you know, like that comes from a very deep place, and and I I'm expecting that the people who feel that urge through this time will only dig deeper to kind of you know find a new source of creativity and and innovation and excitement that will drive the next phase. Of, of electronic music and this whole culture forward. Cheers again. <laughs> We're actually here in uh, Sake 36. Sake 36. Your latest venture. Very exciting, very beautiful. Sake yeah, bar. Sake bar, Sake shop, Sake store in Berlin, Kreuzberg. Um, my other passion that, you know, uh, Passion and, and, you know, continuing on from what we're just talking about and creativity, just, it just comes from within. And you can either try to ignore it or you can welcome it and explore it and that's what took me to music it's what took me to djing and what ended up taking me to japan and through those travels introduced me to the world of you know sake of you know a great feeling alcoholic beverage that was uh, i loved the vibe from the very beginning but also introduced me to a whole world of other creatives And um, so it goes deeper for me than the feeling that was of that initial impression. And again, brings, um, brings you in connection with people you want to hang out with or who inspire, you know, and, uh, and, and, and kind of push you. You really kind of cleaned your house through all this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people in your address book, you're like, actually, do I really want to spend my precious time that I have? someone you don't really know or really, really want to spend with or doesn't give you that positivity or creativity or whatever. Yeah, or that, well, I think it's about it it's some kind of feedback loop, you know? Like, I'd, it's either, okay, it could be a relationship where, okay, when you call, they call you back and that goes, or it could even be some an artist or something that inspires you that you you watch them or and, and then something comes, you know, there's, you get something, they get something out of that. But it, it, it's a feedback loop. It's a sharing somehow and definitely there's... Um, We all have the things in our lives that sidetrack us or, or, or people that perhaps we don't feel like there's a, um, a balance in the relationship. And, and I think this time that we're going through is just um, a moment to reevaluate all those things. And, um, I, I, you know, I think, you know, talking about technology in the beginning of, of how advanced and how it's bringing us all together, but we're human. If we're not in touch with, you know, our emotions and really going how we're feeling, you know, that, that's, that's always for me been the guiding light. And I'm not always in touch with my emotions. Uh, you know, sometimes you get so wrapped into a project that you lose sight and when you should come back. Yeah, but it, when you are, and when I had those moments, and I think one of my th reasons of being successful in the projects that I'm around or in people whether I'm with, is the sensitivity to that. And the sensitivity is also a key um, kind of um, emotion or sense, or combined senses for DJing too, 
You know, if you can't understand what's happening on a dance floor and you're on this in this flow and what you want to do and what, where, you know, what's all coming together, you, you can't do that. It's a conversation you're having, you know, it's ping pong. You can't just have, this is my word and now listen, <laughs> it doesn't work. I mean, you come prepared, but you can't stick to the script, you know. No, no. I like that, um, that type of situation. Yeah. You know, like living, living, living on whatever edge that is, but going with the flow. And I think that's just feeling alive. It's also way more exciting and interesting because some off things happen. Um, well, one collaborator of yours, I guess a friend of yours is a designer, Raf Simons. You guys have been working a lot together over the past few years. One of your latest venture was, was in September, Yeah, September, right? the, the, uh, the um, summer uh, 21 women's show. How was that? I mean, it's the yeah. new first collaboration between Mutual Prada and Raf, and um, yeah. probably in, also for you, different yeah. than usually working with Yeah, Raph. well, no, that, that, that it was their first collaboration, and then that Raf was coming over and inviting me into the, the mix was, um, yeah, well, incredible project for sure, and, um, but also well-timed, because I think no matter what, if I, I would have done it even without COVID happening and even being fully on the DJ schedule, which would have made it very difficult to find the time and focus. Maybe Raf also understood how time had changed and that's also part of the reason he invited me. So who knows, but I was ready for it when it came. And yeah, Raf, it's again, it's a continuation of those people that you meet in your life that you somehow just feel connected to you know that you understand or see the world in similar ways and raf was listening to my music since the early 90s i met him I mean, he's a techno head you know yeah he he was you know honestly you know i was in my 20s playing and so i was like yeah raf simmons super famous designer behind you i'm like yeah okay i'm playing you know like do my thing and like six hours later he was still there sitting there listening and just observing and uh I always remembered that, and then over the years, through other friends that you met, that you feel connected with, all the kind of dots, and in the end, start leading back to similar people, right? And um, that's 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 what happened with with Raf. We uh, we had a, a really amazing uh, project together when he was at Dior when we did the Guggenheim, and and so when Raf called about Prada, although it definitely felt no respect, disrespect for any other fashion houses, but when he called on behalf of Prada, it was like, okay, this is a serious uh, project, but I know that Raf understands my music, has that shared outlook, so that he's making that call with the right intention. And so that, in a way, made it easy to say yes, and also easy to have many conversations you know very open and transparent with Raf as we were you know as I was developing as he was developing and finalizing with Muicha the the collection and the actual design and they were sharing images and and we were you know I wouldn't do this with anybody but we were you know I was very open to suggestions or critiques and we were doing slight changes until 2 a.m. the morning of the show because they were also tweaking The, the last film edit and it had to be uh, a co cohesive beautiful piece and so it was 
incredible like three weeks intense work you know everybody else was like where's rich where you know is rich a ghost <laughs> what happened to him but it was you know incredible and i well, you know one of the things i love about electronic music is its ability to allow one person to orchestrate the whole frequency range of a song and from beginning to end and have that power to push his or her own artistic sonic experience so being in the studio alone is one of my most cherished moments i love it here and there i collaborate but having a collaboration with someone from a completely different world but who has that shared kind of can you know you feel like one a couple of neurons in my brain and his brain are completely like there's a string attached right and they're connected but but the, but the intention is coming from a different sense that's the kind of collaboration where you learn so much about yourself about other people and that you push and you you, you just you know you just you have some struggles and it, again it feels like you're alive and then you come out of it renewed refreshed exhausted and ready to do it all again <laughs> so uh, when you approach a project like this for instance you know a collab, collab with raf does he I mean, he sends the mood board and mood board images and this is the vision of this season does he create like an audio mood board he sends a playlist like these are references. he said he said that was actually very um very important to get the project moving because he really you know raf called me three weeks before the show and uh he gave me a mood board of songs from my catalog which he and moicha had listened to together but this was plastic man this right? is plastic this man yeah. yeah plastic man songs kind of saying okay you know here's my favorites here's her favorites and then these are here's the looks and these are the her concepts favorites of your work. yeah Okay, yeah. cool. So he probably showed up. He rather yeah. introduced yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't believe. We had met actually just briefly when I did a Prada um, um, show, the after party, just last year. So again, like these dots, you know, sometimes they, it's something just pops up and you're like, where did that come from? And then either before you finish it or afterwards, in retrospect, you understand that somebody else was creating some dots before and, and, and it makes sense, you know. Um, but yeah that that kind of the ideas of their shared you know the tracks that they found both of them found a connect connection to but other than that then we, we we talked a couple of things and i went into the studio two days later and basically wrote the track and what you hear you know of course there was two weeks of developments and timing and effects and but the feeling the and core. actually the, the the progressions and the, the 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 core was done it was in that part it was really easy so Yeah. Well, it was a beautiful show and Yeah, no, no, it was absolutely it was it was mind-blowing. Like I think you know what they did together of course on the design, the way and the intention on every level of asking unknown models come on. I think it was most of the models or all of the models first time they had done a show. Like it was all there. This is a kind of a new beginning, right? Also in that in that period, it's funny. I, I 
had the chance to play for both Mucha and Raf over the years as well. And a fun anecdote with Raf, when he was still at Calvin, it was a Christmas party and they brought me in because, you know, it's a Christmas party for Calvin Klein in New York. It's very, yeah, every, the accountant is there, the secretary is everything and everybody. So they had the first DJ who's just playing like top 40 hits, Christmas, like get them all drunk, da da da. And then they brought me in for Raf, right? So I can play some, you know, German techno. <laughs> And I was like, and I walked in and I was like, are you sure? Because it's like, yeah. your mom is basically dancing on the dance floor and they want Rihanna. Yeah. I was like, this is so awkward. I had the transition. How are we going to do this? I was, I was so nervous and uncomfortable about it and on a little podium. And then, no, no, it's fine. Raf wants it. Raf wants it. Okay. So I take over and I ask the DJ to play at least like a housey track at the end. So we can something, you know, some transition. <laughs> And I started with, you know, some housey stuff. And, and then Raph was like, no, no, go harder, go harder. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure? And I just went like super hard. And he loved it. But and everybody in the room was looking like, what's, what's going on? What's happening? But because Raph was loving it, they started to adapt. And then we played a two-hour set like that. That, was, that for me, I loved that like, moment. Because, you know, this is the going back to connecting the dots of people, like-minded people in places. I mean, that's what I love about your DNA, because it, it literally goes through everywhere. Like we're here in your beautiful restaurant, the sake, the tones, the colors, it references everything. Like your music and your visual is like hand in hand. And then of course the people like Raf who speak that language as well, you know? No, no, this is, I, I remember having a, a similar apprehension when I was doing a three hour set recorded for the kind of after party dinner for Dior. And it was like, okay, well, like, just like, Rich, just make it, you know, make it for me, you know. Don't worry about everyone else. It's like, yeah, I know, but there's going to be like, you know, 200 people there, and I'm going to be sitting there having dinner, watching what's going on. <laughs> but, it, but it is, it's like connecting dots, and people gravitate to people who they feel connected to or believe, and not everybody has it, but everybody's open-minded, especially when... Um, someone that they believe in is presenting something that they believe in, you know, so... So they're at least curious about it, yeah. you know, at least open-minded, at least some yeah. people. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, in that way, rap is, um, is curating the music around him, everything around him. It's like what, what we all do, and if that... I always believe if it's true and it's coming from the same place as what, you know, where everything is coming from, you know, it will make sense. Uh, not er maybe not everybody will appreciate it, but they've got to at least say, okay, I get it. Like, the people walk in here, and they may not find any sake they like, but 90% they will. They'll be like, okay, well, this makes sense in the Houghton world, or the Houghton universe. And that's, that's the universe I live in. And, I, you know, and that's all I can do. <laughs> yeah, it's plenty. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, talking about sake... Uh, and you have your own brand as well, Enter Sake. Right? Yes, we were, we were going uh, we're, we're to, we'll try that afterwards. Yeah. Well, you have one glass of Enter Sake. What song do you play? And you play, you have five glasses of the Sake. What do you play then or listening to? You know, I, I'm actually, I'll tell the story about this and why I picked these because um, we're talking about the past. We talked about, you know, Detroit and Chicago. But one of the things that excites me about electronic music is it's always this incredible push forward. There's something always exciting. So I was sitting right here, you know, at the end of this, you know, I don't know, six meter bar, you know, just us right now. And I was sitting here with my wife a couple of days ago, right before the Plastic Man film premiere, drinking sake. And the first drink, was the first song, and by the time we ended, we were like pumping it, which is, 
exactly. So this is this is this is exactly true to life, tried and tested two days ago, and it's two brand new songs. Um, and are we an air premiere? So it's um, you know absolutely incredible new Avalon Emerson record, Rotten, Rotting Hills, just came out this week. Or, beautiful. Well, it reminds me of. Um, when I first heard it, it reminded me of being on a beach at an after hours for Cocoon on Ibiza. Because it's got this melody which kind of is so beautiful and so euphoric that you've been raving for like 12 or back then 24 hours. But it's euphoric, it's beautiful, but it's also somehow, you know, when little melodies and delays, it starts to get kind of trippy and psychedelic. So that's the moment uh, which would be perfect for me in that feeling when you're having a first sake. Sake is hypnotic. You know, it has a very, very special feeling. And one of the other reasons why I'm so into it was because when I was in Japan, I was, of course, drinking uh, heavily as I was playing. And it really, you know, I, I get, you know, I go too far on this. People are like, Rich, just shut up. But like, I think it has the same kind of frequency range. You know, so somehow it resonates with each other. Sake literally influences your sound. Yeah, I well, I, well, I think anything you're, do, you're doing or your mood influences the sound, right? So, um, so yeah, I think um, if hypnotism or loopy, um, psychedelic, you know, this kind of heady, headiness is in my music, which I think it is, um, Sake is the perfect accompaniment. And, and this Avalon Emerson is absolutely beautiful. So, but after four or five sake, and they have these beautiful bottles, you can see down here, these big ones. These are 1.8 liter uh, traditional bottles called Ishobins. So, if we're talking about five of those, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think anything five bottles will be in trouble. <laughs> but when we, were, uh, when we were sitting here listening after a bottle and a half the other night, which is five, five glasses. We were listening to this new song from an Argentinian producer who's living in Barcelona. I don't remember his real name. Ferter, P-F-I-R-T-E-R. I've been playing his tracks forever. And uh, this new track called Rise is like, I don't know, 138, 140 beats per minute. You're going to hear it in a second. And it's, another, it's, it's either going to be when your listeners are listening, getting excited right now, and 30 seconds from now, they're either going to be deeply in it or they're going to be pressing skip, you know, because it's very stripped down. It's what I love, especially about techno right now. It's fast and furious. Although I, I do play hard and maybe even abrasive sometimes, I've always looked at the music I do as intense, not hard, you know, so... And intense can be a hundred beats per minute, you know, it doesn't actually, so, but this track is intense and it's just like, you can just close your eyes and lose yourself within. And if you, even if you had no music on and you were into sake four, five, six, or 15, you may find yourself in that same headspace. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, from all your gigs that you played over the years, I know it's very hard because there are like millions. Uh, do you remember a fun moment that you, a memory they cherish? Well, there's 1995 being at Glastonbury, playing a Plastic Man live show, which was just all hardware. And right in the middle of my show, the power going out and feeling, okay, fuck, I'm, I'm fucked. If I don't come back from this, this it was like at the, as Plastic Man was just skyrocketing, you know, from the UK with an explosion of electronic music. And I, I really remember taking a deep breath and then when the power came up, resetting everything and pressing start. And of course, it was an explosion. was absolutely like I couldn't have planned and and, and it just like well, how long was the the outage wow well, well, I usually when those things happen it's a couple of minutes so long enough that people are like okay we're waiting for you prove yourself so so there's that that comes to mind there was a beautiful moment when I was with all my friends also as a, was actually the first plastic man live show in Detroit August 1994 and we're, you know 1,200 kids in a in the Packard building, just used automotive factory in Detroit, decaying, you know, probably unsafe, completely illegal, and the police coming. Actually, behind me, we were like there was a, like a garage door, and suddenly this garage door opened, and the light streamed in, and there was this is what I remember: two silhouettes, and music pumping, sweaty, you know, eight hours into the party, and police, and they just looked, kind of shook their head, and closed the door. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been hallucination <laughs> it was a psychic speaking <laughs> so yeah and um the other thing that came to mind is um it's argentina because i've had so many beautiful gigs down there and the energy is unparalleled you know somehow i made a connection to the uh, to the to the people of, of buenos aires and they've been so supportive and we were down there doing some enter showcases and it, it, it was just madness like it, it just you know it, it was just so in sync and these are the moments where you know as an artist you know as a performer you know, and as a DJ, you're, you know, you're always like, okay, what am I going to play? How am I going to get the people to go into the place that I want to take them? How much are they pulling me? How much am I pulling you, them? And then at certain moments, that all disappears and you're there. You're in this moment completely together. And luckily that happens more often than not, but sometimes it happens on such a strong way and that it just sustains for so long that it's absolutely incredible. You know, the whole world disappears and, 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 and you're there together. And um, yeah, so, so those are the moments that come together, you know. The block, you know, in, uh, in Tel Aviv, beautiful, incredible sound system. A lot of old turbo light, I believe, if I remember. And um, so very warm, very particular. 
And, you know, every time you play, you know, you have to adjust how you play and the songs that you play. Sometimes the record that sounds amazing on a Friday night sounds different on the next night, sometimes because of the way you play it, sometimes because of the sound system, sometimes because of the way that people react. Um, so these are all adjustments that you're doing in real time. You know? That's why you can't stick to the script. And this is why, you know, this is, as I say about these Plastic Man shows, which, are, you know, are amazing, but sometimes after a couple of months or years of doing a Plastic Man live show, I build those shows to be as spontaneous as possible, but they're still based, especially when you're doing an audiovisual show, you know, you still have certain requirements that you need to fix before you go on stage. And a live show usually is a certain repertoire of looks and sounds and it's an incredible experience, but what always brings me back to the pureness of DJing, and, and, and this is, you know, I wish all live music, musicians understood this, is that the flexibility of DJing, you know, the, 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 the ability, and, you know, there's no band, there's no, it's like you one person, you, you're just, it's immediate. The record that you just heard, or the song you just made, you know, it can be immediately, you know, put into use and into effect to this unassuming audience in front of you. And even to, you know, I'll play, before I've even finished listening to a whole track, you know, I get something, you know, in the hotel two hours before. I've even had kids give me a USB stick and I'm there, I go into the back because I, you know, I know this, you know, this kid makes some good music and, and that track becomes the hit of the night. Like, there's so incredible beauty of that. You know, and sometimes those tracks Do don't even come out. Well, there's a, there's, there was, there's a kid, um, Nicholas from uh, Columbia, uh, N-Sound. He did a couple of records on, on, my, on my label Minus and he always... Whenever he showed up with something, was was really amazing. But uh, very, very particular. I'm sure he's gonna love this <laughs> little shout out. Yeah, incredible. Um, well, after COVID, after COVID, um, where do you think nightlife and club culture or culture at large is gonna head? It's hard to predict, but. I, I, I do think we're resetting and remembering the values of our culture and the, the community and the, the, the feeling, this immersive feeling that we get when coming together on the dance floor. So I think a lot of things are going to push us into enjoying this music potentially in smaller places again. You know, I, I don't think we can just go back to only clubs because the culture is so huge now that we need festivals and they will continue to be important gateways, but they can't be the only place where we enjoy electronic music. We can't let the popularity of electronic music force all of us to only play on the festival circuit in the summer and only play at front-loaded sound systems for five, 10 or 15,000 people. Sure, it works. And actually, it, certain music works in that context. And also, I would say that even part of the trend of techno right now, of hard, fast techno, also works in that context. So we have to be very careful that we come out of this with a balance to allow the music to continue to flourish and to bring 
remember you know this 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 wow this welcoming this invitation to the dance floor this e equality all these things that what brought us to the dance floor in the first place you know this kind of eclectic crazy group of kids who are actually the the nomads and the the kids who didn't fit in anywhere else that's what i saw on the dance floor when i first found myself there and that became the shared the shared aesthetic was that we we're out you know outcasts or just a little bit nerdy, or a little bit, you know, different looking, or a little bit feminine or masculine, like all these weird things that we suddenly felt like we we're accepted for that. And um, all that, I think we, we, we should be, or we, you know, of course, be uh, not only accepting, um, um, celebrating. That's, that, that's who we are. You know, we're a very special, safe place. And then I think it's going to be very important um, to be very much in control of our culture, you know, also as it exploded, a lot of, you know, it inv I, I'm, I'm open to inviting and letting and, and welcoming anybody into, into our culture and our music, but at some point you've got to look at each other and say, okay, are, are you here for the same reasons that I'm here? Okay, that's good. And if not, say, well, maybe, you know, go and find your, your own thing. And I think we have to do that on, um, um, on, on a greater level. Yeah, I think this is like a natural cleanse that's happening right now. And it's definitely going back to, as you said, to its roots and more local. You know, like the touring, the way it was, is not going to happen anytime soon. And also the cheap flights. I had this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. How can it be that you can fly 45 minutes from Berlin to Copenhagen for like 35 euros, whereas a taxi ride from Kreuzberg to Mitte is going to cost you already 20 or something, you know? So I think that is what's going to happen eventually. The price is going to go up. So the touring becomes different. And also social media plays a big role in certain artists that charge crazy fees. They just started off, uh, you, you, you know, usually you would get, let's say 3K, yeah. but you're asking for 12, yeah. you know, how is that? And you've been around for a year. It's your, yeah, I've got my social media followers. <laughs> I think that, you know, that's going to be a natural cleanse there. I think it's going to have people like, it was a wake up call. Yeah, well, I think so, like we're all living the world and our culture too. Maybe not everybody, but to a certain point, there was expectations, more, 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 more gigs, more money, more festivals. Now, you know, more mega brands, you know, and I, I was already having, you know, questions about playing for, you know, brands that were based somewhere, but suddenly were popping up in other countries or cities around the world. And you're like, well, what happened to the local brand? What happened to the local promoter? Oh, they're partners. Oh, where's the local DJs? Like, all these things need to be really looked at hard. And difficult decisions and opinion needs to be expressed and, 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 and spoken about. Um, and, and like you said, touring and look, you know, I see so many people talking about, and also DJs, about being good and bringing us all together and, and uh, uh, be good to the planet and being vegan and all this, uh, all great messages. And at the same time, they're, they're posting those from their private jet. You know, and, uh, you know, like, so we've, we've, there's, we can't do everything if we want to go forward in a more positive and a respectful culture. And hopefully, like, our culture could be a leading force in, 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 in how to entertain and give people joy in a non or less destructive situation. And also, I remember 
you know, in a way, it's like you, you look back at like touring rock bands. They would get on a bus and go one, one place to another place to another place. And then DJ World came in and we're going all over the place. It's, you know, why everyone wants to be a DJ. Oh, one person, you make so much money, private jets, all this. Everything we've been promoting is also wrong, you know? Like we're, we're, we're part of the problem. So we have to be part of the solution. Yeah. It's funny, like Seth, uh, Seth Trucks always said, we are basically just glorified club promoters who get <laughs> shipped around, you know? I'm like, it's so true. <laughs> I'm sure you don't miss that, right? I don't expect to go back to full tilt. I don't want to. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever comes, I want to use this as a, a different, to come out of this better rebalance. You know, I was always meandering between Plastic Man and Houghton and studio work and technology and other interests. And if I want to actually play at my best, I need to feel my best. I need to feel my emotions. I need to let them come out. I, I, I can't be exhausted. I can't be being pushed or being tried to be doing five gigs in a weekend or uh, instead of just doing two. You know, a couple of years ago, I stopped doing double gigs, you know, maybe once a year instead of like 20 times because it was like the only person who won on that was you. Double gigs in one night. In one night, yeah. Usually it meant a private jet. Yeah. So, um, so first you were killing the planet. Second, you were doing two gigs so you're, you're somehow... You can't really engage properly. You no, 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 because you're, you're, you're balancing your energy. You're, you're thinking of like, how do I do the first one good to do the second one good, which usually means, well, maybe I'll do the first one not so good so that I can still have any, so there's all these kind of like factors that many, you know, like all of us need to like kind of rethink, you know? Um, yeah, but it, it, it comes out, you know, this is, this is the moment where I think if, if, if enough of us rethink this, then let's say the old timers can make a good example, you know, and hopefully some of the, the newcomers are coming up are already thinking differently, which, Sometimes I think that, but then sometimes I think of what their, who their role models were, and then I look at what we've been doing, but when maybe we weren't as good of a role model as, as we thought. You know, we, we knew what was in our heart and where we were c driven by music for the last 25 years or 30 years, but when someone's come up only in the last five years and seen Ibiza uh, and private jets and tweeting only about um, the top 100, then that's what you do, right? So... Um, so this is also why we, 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 we need to think about this. But at, at the end, what I love doing is being creative, you know, um, in all these projects. And, and, and that's my sweet spot. That's when I'm more in my hot universe and when I can invite people into that, whether they're at a gig or the, whether they come down to the sake shop or they listen to the new album or see what I've done with Prada. This is like, yeah, that, that's, that's where you, I, I, I'm going to say it again, where you feel alive and that you're doing something super cool and exciting and there's people around you and it's just, it's just, it's just intoxicating, those moments. It's freedom. Uh, creative freedom is the key and it can flourish. And I think one of the things that happened this year for us creatives <laughs> uh, is to give that time and space to be able to sink in and start pondering no, this is this, this is also why i you know other than well basically I, i've done no live streams you were kind of silent no i, I the, the first stream i did was the plastic band show yeah. uh, I mean, which was an, you know was pre-recorded it was a, a you know a film you know i i really wanted to i was already coming into this year like i said as a kind of a transition so when this happened in the beginning i was setting up some cameras and okay how am i going to do some kind of stream and i was like you know what if there's ever been a moment to take a step away from that and really kind of close your turntables on my tr my computer and put my mixer away this is the moment 
and and so I that was a very hard decision in the beginning even for the first couple of months that everybody was doing streams and doing this and making huge noise and you know instagramming you know and and, and I, but i just wanted to kind of disappear and think about things and look at what was out there and think what am i involved in you know where are we at and what where do i want to go forward like there was the only way to go forward out of this in my opinion in an incredible creative like full steam ahead is to come back into it with your full heart and passion. And I really wanted to see and understand where, where that was. And, um, and so I disappeared into my studio, which was, in my mind, where I started. You know, even though I started DJing first, you know, it was the records that were my calling card. You know, um, the first Plastic Man's, the first Fuse, Cybersonic with Dan Bell, Plus 8 Records. Even when I started Minus, it was... Um, consumed it was minus orange these are the kept these things kept coming out and they were like you need rich to come and dj so music was always my founding point and i really you know when i came when all this happened i was like you know with this i'm always in a rush to make music just to kind of stoke the fire let me let me let the fire go out right now and and just see what what kind of what i would make to put back on there when i'm ready to light it again and I'm not even ready to light it again. Like I'm more active now. I can say I, I started listening to music actually for this Spotify playlisting. Um, I went back through my promos for the first time in six months and it was really exciting. But I'm not ready to go out and play again yet. I know I will. I, know, I can feel that I want to, but I can also tell you that I don't, but, but I, I'm not ready yet. I like uh, he said that let the kind of let the record speak right let me go back to the basic what is my calling card it actually kind of reminded me of i don't know if you saw the last dance that documentary about the chicago bulls the 90s bulls mm -hmm. and michael jordan oh you should watch it well it came out amazing sick uh, incredible okay. very inspiring see MJ's. well it's sunday it's movie night tonight yeah, so there you go yeah it was uh, i think it broke records when it came out in april or something because everybody's stuck at home and espn launched it anyway one of the things he said is because when he was like at his height in the early mid nineties, also commercially speaking, all these brands and collaborations, McDonald's, Nike, whatever, it's like, none of this would have happened if it wouldn't be come down to my game. This is my calling card. This is what, yeah. it, it, it's what I'm focused on. Like I wouldn't be the guy if I would shoot two points an average game or something, you know? And so this is his focus, like tunnel vision. When I'm good at that and I'm, I'm on point of my game, I'm at my strongest, emotionally, and 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 um, yeah, it, it it's it's where everything can start again. And uh, I think you know, speaking about everybody else out there and the you know kind of the up and coming next generation, when you have all these other things to balance now, which it's inc crazy how fast a career boots up and how fast managers come in, how fast you need social media. And it's great that people's numbers rise super fast, but yeah, if, if the foundation doesn't stay there and you don't keep working on that, because the foundation can also crumble, then this can be, can finish overnight, you know? And, and that also takes me back to, you know, the mindset that I had with John Aquaviva in the beginning of our career was like watching factory records and mute records and early warp and really thinking of like hey if you know there was no given that this scene was going to be around in two years five years or 30 years um 
so really you, you really wanted to make your mark you really wanted to like be strong and you always somehow because you weren't so sure where it was going in the future you always wanted to imagine what decisions you could make now to make it still happen that you could you know you could pro prolong it you know um so that's still still my mindset you know <laughs> Uh, refill? <laughs> yeah, because we have to try enter sake. We're gonna try enter sake. <laughs> Ooh, that's a nice big bottle. If you've ever been to Japan, you go to Osaka, go a little bit southwest, and there's a, a brewery called Peace. It's um, kind of my sake brother, uh, Yamamoto-san. He's in his early 40s, and his, he, he's like a long-distance marathon runner. And he works, he works like that. He's up every morning, going around Japan. We're going back to the same characteristics. It's a long stretches. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's traveled all over Japan with his sake, getting as many young people to drink it, showing them the heritage, the taste, the feeling, and just like being a um, constant promoter of, of his love, his passion, also his business, because this is also my business. And, you know, that's, his English is as bad as my Japanese, but we're brothers in arms, you know? Cheers. Cheers to him. Kampai. Mm. Well, talking about documentaries and other influences and references, have you recently discovered something in music, art or film that caught your attention or inspired you? I was in the studio the whole time, so I wasn't actually watching too much, but I think in April, during the beginning of lockdown, we were kind of clearing out, organizing things, going through archives. And that's when I rediscovered the David Terranova film of Plastic Man, which we just debuted on Friday. And my wife and I, we were just like, let's watch this and see. And it was just so weird and isolated. And it just made so much sense to us in that current situation. And that, that, that was the beginning point of trying to resurrect this film and bring it, you know, and deliver it to the people at this moment. So that was, that, that's kind of the, that's something that, would, that was really inspiring about like how the past kind of somehow resonated with the, with the present. Um, and, and, and other than that, the most interesting thing for my birthday, my brother gave me a book by Anne Truitt. She's an artist from the U.S. from the 40s or 50s. Um, if people out there, if you know um, John McCracken, he makes these beautiful minimalistic sculptures and then um, Sol LeWitt or Donald Judd in that kind of beautifully sensitive. And I just I discovered her late last year, saw some pieces at Art Basel. And um, you know, every time you go to Art Basel, For me, it's it's like somebody has been rediscovered. And last year was uh, Anna Truitt. And so my brother gave me this book, and it's called A Day Book Journal of an Artist. And I've been reading that book since June. And I, only in the morning or at night, I read like two or three, four pages. So in the beginning, I read a lot more, but then I, it, this book is so interesting that there's so many pages marked with like little quotes and ideas. I posted some here and there, but it's just to live in this artist's head who she's so dedicated to this kind of subtractive work that nobody around her was really understanding, especially at that moment, and also as a woman, and also as a mother trying to like, you know, balance life. And, um, and I think 
although you know you know i'm not balancing life as a woman or like her i think it somehow resonated with me in this moment as we're all balancing life and making decisions and having conversations that we did not expect to be having you know and so it, this is a really really inspiring book and so I, whether if you're into i think it's a book that could resonate with anybody because it's, it's not actually about her art it's about a bit of the process, but it's really, um, it, it's, it's really beautiful. I'll definitely check it out. It's kind of the philosophy of her work, basically. Right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, philosophy of, of her work and, and um, um, yeah, just how, you know, also the sacrifices that she had to make to make her work resonate. And, 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 and I, think, I think that comes also to the idea right now of going forward, you know, what if we were all on this hamster wheel before and if our music culture was like exploding on on some level which i think you know it was but i i think it, i think it, our culture has been decaying in in a way that the the inequality of fees between djs and musicians you know has been is is, is disparate and 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 if there's not this beautiful ecosystem of DJs supporting artists by playing their music and finding a way to that those musicians are properly uh, compensated and that new music is coming and DJs are excited and the crowd is like excited and like it's it's such an incredible ecosystem that we have and I, I think some parts have been broken partly by digital distribution um, and and streaming and not people not actually valuing music as much and people maybe I'll say it maybe overvaluing DJs I think it became plastic S some of, of of this is all that was in my head actually I came I came into this year and at my fifth 50th birthday I wanted to release a statement of my values going forward, which kind of got derailed because so many things changed and actually so many more things came up to, to talk about. I, I just think there's, um, I think everything is so volatile. Our scene, the planet, everything. And if we don't, you know, take some of these things in our hand and actively try to work with and heal and, and fix, you know, we're not gonna this is not gonna be the, the 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 last of these pandemics you know like the last one was 1912 1918 it's a recurring thing probably every hundred years but the way we're going the way we're kind of pushing the planet it could be every 50 or every 25 do, like do we really want this to become a norm. a norm you know like you know we're already getting heat waves and this so yeah like if 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 people aren't noticing this then we're really blind and deaf you know and it would be it would be really even though we won't be around it would be really sad to be judged as the the generation that you know were the, made the tipping point oh. but that goes really good, good actually into into uh into another note i made about art and the other the other movie that i, I watched was this jim jarmusch movie only lovers left alive which I'd never seen. My my wife's like, you have to see this, and that was also 
so beautiful these vampires and like they've been living centuries and these lovely the beautiful Yasmin Hamdan wow that's where I'm going she was meant to be on the series but then no. the bombing bombing explosion happened and she couldn't she, she was devastated so hopefully in a few months I can be able to speak to her yeah tell her I'm a big fan like honestly I, I, I'd heard her name but then in this final scene in this movie and what's the and the, the track she sings high well it is so well, I got I got goosebumps again second time today thinking about this track like it's such a beautiful sultry and how she is just so captivating by herself like there's just the power of like and this comes down to every music all art like when you can take this passion this energy and then just transfer it directly into people like we okay we use some loudspeakers to, to make it happen um, th this is it's so magical you know, and, and this performance in this movie is mind-blowing. Incredible. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it. Yeah, watch it. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, so now is your moment to fast forward. So don't listen to the next song until you've watched the movie, because then it's such a beautiful surprise at the end. <laughs> ah, fuck it. Do it. Listen to it and watch it. <laughs> yeah. To go slightly more intimate, what's your go-to falling in love or heartbreak song? The first thing that came to mind for like heartbreak is um, Eric Satie, um, because his beautiful piano work. Um, yeah, there's been a number of moments, breakups, you know, my cat dying, you know, I'm a huge cat lover. Going back to connecting dots, cats, you're a cat person, not a dog person. There you go. It yeah. fits within your right. universe. <laughs> yeah, so, somehow. Yeah. 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 I don't have one, don't have any pets right now, but one day. But, to, uh, but um, there's another, this is where we're going to get a little bit mellow for everybody. There's, um, when I was in Japan in 2007, I was in this shop and it was a, like, okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Japanese geek, so. I'm, I'm always going to these craft shops and looking for ceramics and anything to do with sake. And they was playing this so beautiful music. And I went up and I asked, and they were like, oh, it's from this Japanese gentleman, Kazuya Nagaya. And then I went and I, I, I couldn't find it anywhere. And so I, I sent him an email. And then he basically, you know, it's like, wow, I, love, I, know, I know you. I'll send you a CD. So the next day I got it. And um, he makes music with traditional Asian instrumentation, not typical, not specifically Japanese. Um, and on the CD, there was a, a song called Plateau Early Spring. And there's another one called Tusho. And that song became my soundtrack of that trip. And the next trips 
when on the dance floor of Womb, I turned around in the middle of my set and met a girl from Berlin, Germany, who ended up becoming my wife. And that was our soundtrack. And it's still our soundtrack. And actually for my 50th birthday, she repressed it on vinyl for me. So that's the song, or this is, this is the song. And I would much rather hear that song than actually hear Eric Satie because that only comes at very bittersweet moments. <laughs> And the other, the joke was, because I was talking to Laura earlier about this, she's like, well, I know what your most important gig was. Uh, um, May 11th, 2008 at Womb, because that's where we met. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell a very short story about that, but because we didn't speak at all that night, and all I can remember is playing and feeling a different energy behind me, you know, I, you know the moment she came up. And, um, and, and we're together ever since. So, yeah. <laughs> mm. Cheers. <laughs> no, we're, yeah, we're, you're getting extra insight here. <laughs> I like it. Well, when you're with Laura <laughs> and you're feeling sexy, oh, what's the sexiest song? <laughs> we both picked the same song. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I Would Die For You, Prince. When I was a kid, when I was, um, well, I don't know, was it 1984 Purple Rain Tour? 85? Anyway, Purple Rain Tour was my second concert I ever went to. Huge Prince fan, purple, you know, and, uh, yeah, and did I say that? I had a purple wall in my, in my bedroom. Yeah. I had all Prince posters. I was, you know, huge Prince fan. Never met him, but I did see years later, because Prince was a huge fan and supporter of Detroit and one of his biggest fan bases was there and there was um, downtown there was an old theater turned into a concert venue called the Fox Theater at 3,000 capacity and Prince came and played so Prince with 3,000 people is pretty fucking incredible yeah so I would die for you um, yeah we um, yeah it's um, yeah we, we have Prince on a lot you know and I, you know I, I kind of stopped in my Prince fascination after, actually, after Around, Around the World in a Day, his last album with The Revolution. Yeah, yeah I know this record. I remember being in high school, and, and this is kind of my fascination of Detroit back then. Like, my, the kids in Canada, in Windsor, most of them and their parents would not go to Detroit. It was like, ah, you can't go there. It's dangerous. It's a murder capital, blah, blah, blah. And my parents, <clears throat> when we were young, we would go there every weekend. 
because that's we could go to a cool mall. We were into hobby and like computer games, and we could you, you just you find more cool stuff there. And so when I started having my car, when I wanted to go resale shopping or go buy records, I went to Detroit too. And so before anybody, because it was released in America two or three days before Canada, I had around the world in a day, and I was so cool, at least in my own mind at high school, because I had it, you know? So, but after that, yeah, he, um, so Laura has reintroduced me to the rest of the collection, and um, there's a great book that just came out on Prince. Oh, his autobiography. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it, well, it was meant to be his autobiography, yeah, but he yeah, passed away. Just, I forget, is it The Beloved Ones? Yeah, I think so, I yeah. think so. So, okay, so I did read another, this is the other book I read during lockdown, um, and, um, yeah, it's short, but it's this this um, the, the guy who was interviewing him would was fly to Minneapolis. This is such yeah, this is such a beautiful little insightful thing about Prince, and it was in the final days. Like he was out there when it happened, I think. So and he wasn't even like a journal, journalist, or he was like he was some, it was some, super bizarre. And yeah, it was someone who like basically Prince Prince they resonated. Prince saw that this was the guy. And like, he knew it, and, and that, yeah, that's, um, I can imagine, that's why you know, Prince had incredible connect, connections to his sensitivity, and he knew everything that was going on. Yeah. And we could play any Prince song, or the whole Purple Rain, so yeah, after this interview, if you want to listen to something else, listen to more Prince. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to our last question, I want to ask you, talking about Japan, because I mean, I bought some of the best records and incredible record stores in Tokyo. And uh, again, everything is attention to detail and even how clean the records are, you know, mm. even like, <laughs> like pristine, like everything is A plus. I'm like, how? <laughs> no, no, no. It's like if you want to buy, uh, you know, buy a used record in Japan is like, it's better than buying a new record everywhere else in the world. Totally. <laughs> Do you have a favorite record store? Yeah. Mm. Do you still buy records? I wasn't buying records until about, mm, about, Two, three years ago, I started buying records again because there was kind of this resurgence of thing like <clears throat> incredible tracks that just weren't coming out digitally. So I would buy them and encode them. And um, when we opened Saka 36, it was a great reintroduction to this community and, and my friend Mark and Hard Wax around the corner. And, um, you know, to the guys across the street, like it's, um, I feel somehow like connected again to vinyl, like, but in, it's also, my dad gave me this really beautiful little techniques record player, not a 1200, it's like the exact size of a record, 12 by 12 square, and it closes, you could actually put it up vertically, and it has a linear tracking head, which gives pretty much what the, the, the technically it's supposed to be the, 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 the least amount of distortion when playing. And so since we've had that, we've basically been, you know, buying records again. And I bought records back from, from Canada and re-listening to, to things. Yesterday, I was listening to Happy by Public Energy. Uh, public Energy, Public, oh my God, Public Image Limited. Oh my God, I, I got hip hop and Yoakum Pop Techno and everything all mixed together. So, no, um, because I was a huge PIL fan when I was a kid.
know what? I like vinyl more than for sure CDs. You know, environmentally, the CDs are even worse, although vinyl's kind of shit. Um, but also streaming is even worse too. But, you know, playing... What I'm trying to say is a CD is, I like the, I, I like the, the, the listening experience of a CD because you can put it on and play the whole album, which for me, growing up listening to my dad play records and where we're going to go for the last record, long pieces that really suck you in is really, it's, it, 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 you know, it, it's, 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 you know, Tangerine Dream Records, 23 minutes long, or when I did Sheet One, uh, you know, it was, it was an album. It made, it, even to this day, when I look at the vinyl of Sheet One and where I had to, which tracks were on A, and it never made sense. Sheet One only makes sense to me on CD or as a long form player because it, it starts and it only lets up at the, at the end and it is a complete narrative and story that I envisioned that's how people would listen to it. And that's really shit about Spotify and streaming and Apple and all these, everyone, you know, and playlists. Like, okay, I love that. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm doing a playlist and I see the benefit of, of that and how people can share. That's actually incredible that you don't have to make a cassette tape up and, and, and distribute it and all that. But, but that there's not a proper way or that it's not actually promoted by these platforms to enjoy and experience a piece of music that is longer than five minutes, you know, it's ridiculous. Although I did just get on Deezer, thank you very much, Deezer, uh, album of the month. Oh, commission. No, but it wasn't. <laughs> But it wasn't an album, it was a single. But because it was 17 minutes, they had to call it an album, not a single. <laughs> so, so what I'm, you know, I just think it's, you know, the, and it's the same thing that's happened with electronic music and also with DJs getting crazy fees and, and musicians not making so much. To grow the scene, I can't talk about other, other music forms, only ours. Um, the advent of Beatport and of digital music and Tractor, Final Scratch, all this has helped um, expand our universe of music. You know, the kid in Anchorage, the, uh, the girl in Patagonia can now be a techno fan even if he or she can't go to or doesn't have a, a local record store. So that's absolutely in incredible. But, you know, the... The, 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 the way that the, the, the value of, of, of music has gone down somehow in that way and has made it more difficult for people to survive on music. So we're bigger than ever, but actually people are struggling, at least on a creative level, more than ever. So this is this you know, give and take with, with, with technology. So these, these are some of the, you know, the issues that, that are in my head. This was coming from another point. I've kind of lost my train of thought. But No, but that, that's also going back to the point. Obviously, technology playing a big role in this, but we are meant to consume quicker and faster. That also yeah. means when it comes to culture. And actually, that's why they're having this conversation right now in the fashion industry about seasons, how irrelevant seasons are, you know, and how that some of the brands, including Gucci, and stuff trying to get out of this rhythm because it's more about as an artist or creator you want to have your moment of silence so you can think and create and not be dedicated uh, kind of like by uh, by a schedule and then when you want when you do want to deliver something or release something you also have to understand that you're releasing it globally now 
You know, we, we on Friday night we had this Plastic Man film, and I wanted it to be one. I wanted to release it at one moment for everybody, so that everybody had this kind of global moment. People were messaging back and forth. But actually, to do that when it's 12 a.m. here and it's 6 6 p.m. in you know uh, in New York and 3 p.m. there and here and there, it's very very difficult. And I think, as you said, with the fashion, you know, what season? What season is it? Where? It's every season somewhere, and uh, you know. But and 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 where this did come from, so I can prove that I remember my train of thought. You know, just about playlisting and just how far we've come, how you know how we've spread music around the world, how we've spread our culture. You know, how we've gone to festivals. All this stuff is great, 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 great. But if we we've got to rail it in, and we've got to make sure that our culture isn't misunderstood or misrepresented. You know, so that's really important for for me going forward of how do i work in this new framework and still enjoy it and still get my creative vision through this incredible pipeline through all these incredible platforms to the listener or to the person's experiencing it in a, in, in as pure a way as possible got it i finally brought it back around <laughs> <laughs> Well, to wrap up our little chat, which was a lot of fun, if your life would be a movie, what song would play in the end credits? Well, um, I'm glad you weren't asking who would play me and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, there, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know what, I, I think life is so meandering and long and, you know, and but exciting too, but it's it's all over the place. It's everything, right? Um And I hope that when people look back at my life, or I look back at my life, that there's kind of a continuity, and that you feel that you are on a mission, and that you are on a path. And so there's only one record that is long enough for that journey, for those credits, because there's been so many people who have helped me and inspired me. And there's only one record that has that monotony and has that excitement and is also always pushing forward into the future, which always drives me. And it's also one of the first records I ever heard in my dad's collection, which is Autobahn from Kraftwerk. <laughs> you know, the, the first record I thought about, I read over, you know, can I, can I say that? You sent me the, the, the questions before. And, 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 uh, I send them to everybody so they can think about their songs. But whenever I get, I usually don't read questions before because I much prefer jumping into something raw and live but I looked at them last night and the only thing when I woke up this morning that one resonated and immediately Audubon came to mind and then the only difficulty was when you asked me about my early you know childhood or early you know ideas that also came straight to my mind too it actually isn't that record then the first record from Kraftwerk that I found in my dad's record collection was um, Trans Europe Express um, and um, finding that record and, and, and was, was kind of an epiphany for me because actually I found it with a friend of mine and my friend was even more amazed because he knew what it was and then I realized how cool my dad's records were. So that was that was the first record, but Autobahn, I spent, you know, I had it on cassette 
which was all okay. That's a pretty good format, you know, you know, because you got you got thirty minutes, or at least you got one Kraftwerk record. But those, you know, records and music that take you somewhere else, you know, that's what I want music to do to me. You know, um, that's what I do when I play. That's what I do when I'm making Plastic Man or. Even you know, if I'm working together with Raph, you know, you're 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 trying to then to understand this combined vision, so that when people are watching or listen, they're transfixed, and suddenly they're somewhere else. Have you ever listened to uh, autobahn? You, I mean, you live in Berlin. Do you ever sit in a car, just put the soundtrack, and drive down the autobahn? Well, well you know, we're usually using uh, um, uh, drive now in smart cars. It wouldn't be the same. <laughs> Well, when I first came to Germany, I was, it was incredible to drive around on the Autobahn. We drove everywhere to the gigs. We drove ourselves. Um, one time when we were driving to a gig, my, uh, John Aquaviva and I actually had to take the driver out and drive ourselves again because he had just come from back from the after party. So we've done lots of driving on the Autobahn, and I was always amazed at how large this one city was in, in, in Germany called Auschwitz, <laughs> until I realized what it meant. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible German joke, sorry. <laughs> Oh, man. I love it. Yeah, but I'd never. Um, actually, the, the the last time I drove fast on the the autobahn, I you know I did receive a speeding ticket because that's that's the thing. You the Germans promote the autobahn as 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 no so, yeah. speed limit, yeah. but as a foreigner, you're quite disappointed uh, when you do find there is there are sections where there well, of course there's rules somewhere because it's Germany um, but there are moments where you have to slow down. You know, it's actually, technically yes, there are no limits so what they say is like there's sections of the strip where there is a limit, but there's like majority of the <laughs> autobahn, there are only smaller sections where you can actually go without anything. What I always, well, on my last note about the Autobahn, what I always noticed was how people followed the rules going that fast. You know, you're flashing your lights from way beyond or you're moving over. You're not in the middle when you're going slow. If there's nobody else, you're on the, completely on the right. And, you know, it works. You know, then you go, but you know, you go, you, you, well, you, then you go back to Detroit and motor, the motor city. And you're like, oh my God, these, the, you know, the, 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 the roads are falling apart. Everybody's all over the place. Well, it's fully over America, not to diss on Detroit, but, uh, anyway, you know, that's the beauty, the beauty of, of, of my life. The last 30 years has been besides music has been traveling the world because of music and seeing and experiencing all these idiosyncrasies of different cultures and people and, and seeing how wonderful the, the, the planet is but in its diversity. Perfect way to end this beautiful yeah. chat. Richie, it's been a pleasure and hope to see you on the dance floor very soon. <laughs> Me too.
for this episode's playlist, visit areweonair.com, where you'll be able to enjoy the full playlist mentioned in this conversation.